Thank you so much for being here uh, and worshiping with us today. And I know we have a few guests um, with us today for the baptism, so we don't want to say welcome to you, and we are so delighted that you are here. In the New Testament book of Matthew, Jesus tells two parables that are the shortest parables we have on record. Uh, the first parable that Jesus tells is one verse. The second parable, which comes on the heels of the first parable, is two verses. Very short parables, but very powerful stories that make a point that is our rule number one for, th for today. I'm not going to give you that rule number one quite yet. I want to walk through the parables, and then we will highlight the main point of these parables which will give us our rule number one. So if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew is the first book in your New Testament. In Matthew 13, beginning with verse 44, we read two parables. We'll start with parable number one, and here it is. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So there is a crowd that is gathered. Jesus is speaking to the crowd, and he tells them that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that is hidden in a field. A man is walking along. He has a stick with him of some kind, some sort of walking stick. In that day, anyone who was going on any kind of journey would take a stick with them. One, it was used to defend themselves. If a robber came or a wild animal came, they could use this stick to defend themselves. But secondly, even for somebody who was young, um, Israel was then and is today a very rocky terrain. When Katie and I were there several years ago, I remember making the comment that when God created the world, when he was done, he took all the leftover rocks and he just put them in Israel. It is a very rocky place. So even someone young going on a journey would take a staff just to keep their balance as they walked across these rocks. So there's a guy who is walking across a field of some sort, headed to some undisclosed location, going along, sticking his staff in the ground as he makes this journey, and at some point, his staff hits something that is hard, but it's not a rock. Instead of a solid sound, it's more of a hollow thud that he hears as his staff enters into the dirt. He stops, he backs up, he brushes away some dirt. He brushes away a little bit more and a little bit more. And finally, he notices there's a wooden box. And so he digs all around this box until finally he is able to lift it out of the ground. He sets the box on the ground and he opens it up. And there in the box is gold and silver and jewels of all kinds. Now, we get to this point in the story and we think, Jesus, that, that sounds great. But what are the chances of something like that actually happening? I mean, we love the idea of going to the beach and we take our metal detector on the beach and we're going along and instead of just some little trinket or some small little coin, we find this buried treasure on the beach. 
I mean, that, that sounds like a great idea. And a story like this, all you Outer Banks fans, you love it. This is great. This is right up your alley. You read a story like, like this and you think, this sounds wonderful, but what, is the, what are the chances that something like this is actually, could actually happen? But in that day when Jesus told this story, people understood this happened. Uh, back in that day, banks existed, but they, they were not very reliable. So if someone had wealth, if they had gold and silver and jewels of any kind, the safest place for them to keep these jewels was buried in the ground. And so someone who had money, a wealthy landowner, they had acquired some gold or silver coins or jewels, they might very well take those and hide them in a box and bury them at, at some point on their property because that was the safest place to keep them. From someone coming and robbing them at night, they would hide their jewels in a box in the ground. Now just imagine that some illness hits that family and everybody dies. Or an army comes through and they wipe out the entire family. And nobody knows that 150 paces to the right of the old oak tree is this buried treasure in the ground. And the land is sold and sold again. And generations go by and generations go by. And that treasure remains buried in the ground. Uh, some scholars have said that the first century Palestine that that land was, was a treasure field with all these buried uh, treasures of boxes with gold coins and silver coins, that this was actually something that could have happened. So when Jesus describes this event, people listen. They say, oh yeah, that, that's a possibility. So the man's going along, he finds the treasure on this field that he does not own. He takes the treasure, he reburies it, and then he goes home and he says to his wife, honey, we're selling everything. They have an estate sale. All their clothes, all his tools, the livestock, everything is for sale. The neighbors come and they buy everything. And then he lists the house for sale. We're selling everything that we've got so that he can go and buy this treasure. His friends think he's crazy. Everyone looks and says, what are you doing? You're selling everything. This doesn't make any sense. But he knows exactly what he's doing. So he goes to the landowner and says, I want to buy your field. Landowner says, it's not for sale. He says, name your price. It's not for sale. Name your price. I'm willing to pay whatever it takes. The landowner names his price, and it's the same price that he charged for everything that he owned. It takes everything that he's got to purchase the field, but he buys the field and he gets the treasure. Jesus tells that story, and then on the heels of that story, he tells a very similar parable. Uh, verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So again, very similar to the first parable. This time, Jesus, instead of talking about a hidden treasure in a field, he talks about pearls. And in that day, pearls were like diamonds today. The most valuable jewel for a couple of reasons. One, they were extremely hard to, to obtain. Uh, 
Pearls are found in oysters. Oysters are generally about 40 feet um, below the ocean surface. And so without the benefit of scuba gear, uh, a diver had to get a rock, tie that heavy rock around him, uh, get that rock to quickly lower him to the ocean floor, scurry around on the ocean floor for oysters just the whole time hoping that sharks didn't get him or eels didn't get him and they didn't run out of breath. Uh, Once he was about to run out of breath, he would come up with the oysters that he had. Pearls are found only in about one out of a thousand oysters, which meant a diver could work for days or weeks or even months and not find a pearl. So they were very hard to get. The second reason that pearls were so valuable is that a pearl needs nothing done to it. In fact, if you cut a pearl, you actually diminish its value. Every other jewel has to be cut or shaped in some way, but a pearl is perfect the moment that it is found. In that day, pearls were so valuable that if a woman who was very wealthy wanted to show off her wealth, she did not wear other jewels. She would wear pearls. Uh, A Roman emperor or Roman senator who wanted to show off his wealth would take a pearl and dissolve it in vinegar, then pour that solution into his wine and drink it just to show how ridiculously wealthy he was. Almost like a billionaire today taking a $100 bill to light his cigar before he smokes it. Pearls were that valuable. So when Jesus tells a story about pearls, people sat up and listened. They were interested. Wow, he's telling a story about a pearl. So he talks about this merchant. In this story, the merchant was more like a middleman. Someone who would go and buy pearls from those who were actually getting the pearls from the oysters, from the ocean, and then he would turn and sell those pearls to merchants uh, who were retail sellers. This guy would was an expert on pearls. He would buy pearls. He knew the value of pearls. That's how he made his living. He could tell the value of a pearl and how much a retailer would pay him for it. And then suddenly one day in all of his searching and all of his looking and all of his buying of pearls, he finds what could only be described as the perfect pearl. This pearl was absolutely the perfect pearl. And so to purchase this pearl, he has to go and sell everything. So just like the first guy, goes, puts up everything for auction. His clothes, his tools, everything in his house, his furniture, all of his dishes, sells his home and he sells everything to get this pearl so that he, sells everything so that he may obtain this particular pearl. Two stories that Jesus tells, different characters, different settings, but both of these make the exact same point. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like a hidden pearl, like a perfect pearl. And he says both of these uh, represent the kingdom of God. And here's the point, and it's our rule number one for the day. Jesus is the greatest treasure I can ever possess. The gospel is the greatest treasure that I can ever possess. Jesus said to the crowd that was gathered that day, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? You want to understand the kingdom of God? Then know this. Think about how valuable the treasure in the field is. Think about how valuable this perfect pearl is. As much as you think those are worth, the kingdom of God is worth even more than those. 
the greatest treasure that any of us can ever possess is a reality of the gospel in our lives. Now, these two parables told together that make the same point cause us to ask three questions. This is on your message map. Three questions that this particular truth begs us to ask. The first is obvious. Do I view the gospel as my greatest treasure? Do I view the kingdom of God, the reality of the kingdom of God in my life as the greatest treasure that I can possess? You see, in both of these stories, the reality of the treasure and the reality of the pearl did not change. The treasure in the box, in the field, was valuable even though some people didn't see it that way. The first guy goes and he sells everything and he goes to buy this field and everyone says to him, why are you paying so much for that field? That doesn't make any sense. It's just a field. There are all these other fields that are out there. Why is this field so special to you? It's a field with dirt, with rocks, with trees, with bushes, And there's another field with trees and bushes and rocks and dirt. And there are all these fields out there. They did not view the field any differently. But this guy knew what they did not know. That buried within that field was an incredible treasure. The same was true with the pearl. Implied in the story is that others did not understand the value of this pearl like the merchant did. They did not get just how perfect it was. And so they said to him, why are you sacrificing everything for this particular pearl? It's just another pearl, literally in a sea of pearls. It's just one of many pearls that are out there. But this guy saw, this guy understood that this pearl was perfect. In both of these stories, The treasure and the pearl did not change one bit. It was the perception of their value that was different. Paul highlights this truth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul wrote these words. For the message of the cross, what we would call the gospel, the message of salvation that comes through the gospel, the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who cannot see it, to those who have not accepted Christ into their lives, the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Notice here that the message of the cross does not change. The gospel does not change. It is exactly the same. It is perceived differently based on how those who are looking at it view it. And to the world, the cross is incredibly foolish. To them, they perceive the cross and the gospel and anyone who follows Christ in their life is absolutely foolish. Think about it, it makes sense. Makes sense that they would view it that way. Why would someone give up a Sunday morning and come to church, spend this time in worship when you could be at home sleeping in, watching your favorite show on Netflix, getting your shopping done for the week, going out to the lake, going out to play golf? Why would you give up your valuable time to come to church? 
why would anyone give up their time to serve in a church or to serve in a ministry? Why would anyone give up their money to give to a church, to give to a ministry? To the world, it looks like absolute foolishness. But for those who understand the value of the gospel, to those who understand the value of being saved, to those who understand the power of the kingdom of God in our lives, there is nothing that compares to it. Take for just a moment a set of scales, and you put on one side of the scales everything that you could ever get in this life. Money, fame, any kind of accolade, achievements. You put on one side of the scale everything that the, this world has to offer you. And then on the other side, you put salvation, eternal life, peace with God. It becomes apparent very quickly which of those is more valuable. Which of those really makes a difference in your life and a difference in your eternal life. And so to the watching world, Paul was right. It looks like foolishness. But for those who see the value of the cross and the reality of what it is, it is the power of God. It is the greatest thing in the world. The first question we have to ask is, do I view the gospel as my greatest treasure? Here's the second question we have to ask. Am I willing to sacrifice everything for the treasure? Notice that was the point in both of these gospels. Jesus made it very clear that the man who wanted the field had to go and sell everything in order to be able to get the field. There was not the option of just selling a little bit. He was not given the option of just going and buying a corner of the field. It was all or nothing. He could not just sell a few items and then maybe rent the field. That was not an option. To get the field, he had to be um, uh, careful to sell everything that he had in order to get the field. The same was true with the guy in the pearl. Jesus was clear. He had to go and sell everything in order to get the pearl. Just buying part of the pearl wasn't an option. Renting the pearl just to wear at Easter and Christmas was not an option. In order to get the pearl, it meant sacrificing everything in order to get it. And of course, the, the pearl and the treasure represent the kingdom of God. And Jesus was saying here that you cannot get salvation without a willingness to give up everything else. You cannot have the gospel as a reality in your life if you say, I want Jesus, but I want to still be in charge of my life, and I want to do things my way. Now, there is a version of Christianity that is very popular in our world and very popular, especially in the United States, that says exactly that that says you can stay exactly as you are, whatever your desires are, whatever your plans are, whatever your agenda is, you can keep all of that and get Jesus too. And if you want that, then that's fine. You can have all of that. And it's very appealing. 
In fact, honestly, I sort of wish that that's what Jesus had said. I wish that Jesus had told these parables and he had said there was a man who was walking along in a field and he found this treasure and he went and he asked the man who owned the field and the man said, I'll just give it to you. You don't have to sell everything here. Just take the field. Or the guy in the perfect pearl and he found the pearl and said, man, I really like that pearl. And the guy said, here, it's yours. Just take it. I wish that Jesus had told the stories that way. Because there is this appeal about I get to still be in charge. I get to do what I want to do. And I still get the gospel and forgiveness and all of that. I like that version. The only problem is it does not fit with scripture. In fact, just a few verses that Jesus says to make this absolutely clear. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple can still keep all of his stuff and all of his plans and all the things that he wants to do and follow me. No one's paying attention. (laughs) Whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves and take up their cross, an instrument of torture and death, and follow me. Whoever finds their life, again, the words of Jesus, will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Again, Jesus, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. Everything you have cannot be my disciple. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That is just a sampling of the words, and it's just from Jesus. The rest of the New Testament, it echoes this, that there has to be a willingness to abandon all, to sign the the blank check and say, Jesus, you fill it in, whatever it is that you want me to do, in order to come to Christ. It's everything, everything, everything. And then finally, here's the last question that we ask. Will I focus on the sacrifice or will I focus on the treasure? here's, Here's what Jesus said in the very first parable. The kingdom of God, I mean, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Imagine the man who discovers this treasure that is hidden in a field and he goes home and he says, honey, we're selling everything and they list everything and all of his neighbors say, oh man, I'm so sorry. Aren't you sad? You've, you've given up your boat. I'm not sad. You've given up your house. I'm not sad. You've given up all your furniture. I'm not sad. You're selling your clothes. I'm not sad. And the whole time that he's giving up everything, he's doing it with a smile on his face. Jesus said, in his joy, he sacrificed everything. Why? Because he knew what was in that field. He knew what he would get. He knew the treasure that awaited. For those who come to Christ Everything that they give up does not seem like a sacrifice at all because all that you get when you become a follower of Christ. And so in your joy, you say, I abandon my plans. In my joy, I'm willing to sacrifice. In my joy, I'm willing to give up and give up and give up because what I get far exceeds anything that I am giving up. 
That is the point that Jesus is making in this parable. Yes, the kingdom of heaven, to gain the kingdom of heaven in your life, it means sacrifice. But what you get at the end of the day makes that sacrifice not seem like a sacrifice at all. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor, a theologian. Uh, he was a Lutheran pastor. He is um, best known for his stand against Hitler during World War II, uh, specifically against the Nazi plans um, to put the Jews into concentration camps and all the horrible acts that they had committed. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was ultimately arrested for his stand and for his part in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, he was arrested and just before World War II came to an end, he was put to death. Um, but it was something that he knew that he had to do, that as a follower of Christ, he could not remain silent while all of these atrocious acts were taking place in his country. And ultimately, it cost him his life. Before those events, um, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that little book, he calls this following Christ without giving anything up, he calls that cheap grace. Here's what he says. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in a field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ, at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it cost a man his life. But it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. That was the point of Jesus in these parables. We give up everything, but what we gain is that which is truly life. Have you done that? Have you given up everything to follow Christ? That is the call of Jesus on your life, to abandon it all, to deny yourself in order to gain the kingdom of God.